if you have a Bible or if you have an app that leads you to a Bible verse, or if you're on our Facebook page, or yeah, if you're on our Facebook page, there's a comment below this video that leads you to BibleGateway.com where the passages that we're going to be looking at. If you're on our homepage, CollectiveChurch.net, it's, if you scroll down, it's towards the bottom underneath all the links and videos and everything like that. So, um, yeah, so if you have a Bible or an app, feel free to turn to the book of John chapter one. So I think one of the one of the great human struggles that that I feel like we we have to spend a lot of time talking about oh, like you know in various settings and churches and um, you know conferences or whatever is is this feeling that we aren't connected to something important that, that there that there is basically just like the days that we live and our our world is quite small and we, we tend to sort of have this notion that my value, my contribution, my like participation in a larger thing. For a lot of us, I think we we spend time wondering if if that's that's real out there. I mentioned before I'm I'm about to turn forty, and so I'm kind of wrestling with with lots of questions about those, those kinds of things. You know, like if if you were to add up all my days, did I make the most of of those things? I tend to, as an Enneagram three, I I, I tend to sort of look at all of like the, the, my entire life in the form of a scoreboard and trying to figure out like did. Did I do enough? Did I participate enough? Did I um, make the right choices when I was given the opportunity to make choices at all? And um, and a lot of times, all that kind of goes back to like, what are we doing? Like, like how are we spending our time? What are we pouring ourselves into? Um, and and then the, the the question becomes like, is it really just like my own personal existence and then nothing, or then death, and then like we move on to whatever we move on to? And then, or is it that, like, there's, oh, there's something much, much larger that we're trying really hard to participate in here and now. And sort of the ongoing question of what difference does my life make? What difference do I make? These are m massive questions to be asking at 1030 on a Sunday morning. But I think we're going to be looking at a story today in the book of John. And I think this sort of gets at, in, in a subtle sort of poetic kind of way, it, it does sort of get at this question and it attempts to sort of steer us towards like, yeah, maybe there is something a little bit larger. Now, it, it would be easy to not see that at first glance because of the nature of how the story is told. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story. We're going to try and find out like, okay, what 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 are the things that are being said in the story that aren't like right on top of the page? What are the things that if you look like one level below this, this quote or this story, all of a sudden you find lots of new dimensions uh, about like what it is that we are meant to do in this world or who it is that we're meant to be or who we were created to be in this world. So all that to say, we're going to start in the book of John chapter one. And when you read the book of John, I, I find that it's really helpful because, okay, there are four, there are four different books in the Bible that all in their own way tell the, tell the life story of Jesus. And John is one of those four. The other three are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. And John is different than the other three. The other three match and compare to each other in a lot of ways uh, pretty well. In fact, there's um, th there's a lot of agreement that, that probably the book of Mark was one of the first original sources, like informational sources for both Luke and Matthew. So Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all sort of are drawing from the same well, but then you have John, and John is very different in terms, not not just like, it, it's not in a like overtly contra contradictory way, but John is different in tone and in structure and in linguistic style. And so I find it a lot easier if you're reading the book of John 
to look at it not in terms of like, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Not like the other three, what are known as the, the synoptic gospels, the other three books. John tends to kind of stand apart. And I think one of the things that John is attempting to do that the other three writers are not quite, aren't as overtly attempting to do is John is trying to make larger points with subtle imagery or what we would see as subtle imagery. And so you sort of have to read this um, with kind of an eye towards the literary, an eye towards the poetic. And this passage that we're about to look at in John 1, I think really to, to follow that rule will, will really help us in kind of trying to, trying to figure out what John is trying to say in this story. So in John, all that to say, those all lead up, but it, all that to say, in John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So this is one of the earlier stories where Jesus is calling his first disciples. And he's, he's creating a following for himself as a Jewish rabbi. And so in verse 44, it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, I'm sorry, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, which is a reference to something from what we often refer to as the Old Testament, but the Hebrew scriptures um, about this guy named Moses who presents this like first original document of this is who we're meant to be. And so now they're calling back to this very old story, this very ancient Jewish Hebraic story about calling and about the, like, the original story of what it meant to be a people who were created to be something more than what maybe face value would allow for. So then it says, um, we, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about, the, uh, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then in verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks, which sick burn. Apparently Nazareth was the, um, I don't know. I, I really want to not like take cheap shots at like various places. I'm trying to like compare this to, because the idea here is that Nazareth is like this, this place where like nothing good ever happens or no one, no one interesting ever comes from. And I almost, here's what I almost said. I'll just go ahead and say it. I almost said, apparently Nazareth was the Florida of the Judean territory in the first century. But I don't want to like hurt people's feelings if you're from Florida and you're watching. So let's just pretend like, I'm really glad I didn't say that, you know? But I had to kind of come up with some sort of way of like, you know, like any anytime something wild happens in the news and it's like this one guy does something insane, like nine times out of 10, it feels like the story is like Florida person does this. In fact, there's an entire Twitter account called Florida Man that's just different insane things that, that happen to uh, the, uh, news stories that start with the words Florida Man. And so it seems like maybe Nazareth was sort of in the public consciousness, sort of that type of region at the time. And so when Philip comes and says, we found, we, we found the one that Moses has been writing about, and his name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And then uh, Nathaniel's response is like, okay, Take a minute and think about what you just said. Nazareth. Like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Uh, Nathaniel has strong feelings, apparently, about people who come from Nazareth. So, anyway, neither here nor there. So, so he says the thing about Nazareth, and then Philip says, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Which, that's a nice thing to say to somebody that you're just meeting. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So in other words, like, this guy's the real deal. The, the, like, Jesus takes one look at this person and, and it says, and he, he says, this is someone that I feel like I could really connect with. This, there, there is something true to this person. And then in verse 48, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Which is a good question because if Jesus just sees him and says, like, 
here's a guy I can work with. Here's a guy I like. Um, and then Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So this sounds, what it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you take this at face value, if you only look at this through the historical literal, literal lens, it sounds like Jesus was walking around. He saw some guy sitting under a fig tree, takes like eyeballs the guy and is like, I like the look of that guy. And then he meets the guy and says, you know, I saw you under the fig tree and, you know, I like your I like your style, Nathaniel. So the, that's what it sounds like is going on here, basically. But the thing about this is, again, like I said, when you're reading the book of John, you can't just take a look at these little details and move past them without asking questions about like, what does Jesus mean when he says, I saw you sitting under a fig tree? Because again, at face value means he saw him sitting under a fig tree. But maybe there's actually something way deeper going on here. And Jesus isn't really talking about an actual literal fig tree at all. Maybe Jesus is saying something bigger about who Nathaniel is and how Nathaniel participates in the world. So in Hebrew tradition, actually, um, if you have a Bible or again, an app, take a, a jump back to the book of 1 Kings chapter four. So in Hebrew tradition, which is where Jesus comes from, which is where his disciples come from, what does Jesus, first, first of all, what does Jesus first say? He says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no doubt. So here is someone from a Hebrew background. Here is someone who has this tradition and how he knows this person is that he was sitting under a fig tree. So in Hebrew tradition, the image of a person who sits under a fig tree has actually really deep implications. This isn't just like you happen to have been under a particular kind of tree. It is, oh, Jesus is tapping into a much larger story and he's using this image of the fig tree in order to do it. So in 1 Kings chapter four in verse 25. So this is what is this is part of like the ancient Hebrew traditional scriptures. So in verse 25 it says during Solomon's lifetime Solomon was the king. It says during Solomon's lifetime Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. In other words, the entire territory, the entire Hebrew territory, all the all the Jewish citizens, it says they lived in safety. Everyone their under their own vine and under their own fig tree. So this in Hebrew tradition isn't just like we have fig trees. A fig tree in Hebrew tradition implies something about safety. It implies something about like belonging and where we are meant to be. So when it says every every person under their own fig tree, it was every person was becoming who they were meant to be. During Solomon's reign, during this period of time, all the people, it's not just they were safe from like physical harm and like invading armies or whatever. It's this group of people are under their own fig tree. They are they are at peace. They are they are in a state of shalom. They are they are who they were meant to be. So then, if you jump over to the book of Isaiah, who is a prophet from a little while later, but also a prophet in the Jewish tradition, in Isaiah chapter thirty six, beginning in verse sixteen, Isaiah writes, "Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says." So now he's quoting a foreign king. He says, this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you, so there's like some sort of like peace negotiation. So it says, then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So here there is conflict with another territory. And one of the ways that, the writer is trying to imply like there will come a time where there's peace again is he says the thing about and then there will come a day when everyone eats from their own fig tree everyone gets to sit 
under their own fig tree. Then if you look at uh, the book of Zechariah, which is another uh, one of the old ancient prophets in, um, oh, you know what I did? I marked Zephaniah instead of Zechariah. Rookie mistake. That's, um, here we go. So Zechariah, sorry about that, everybody. Zechariah chapter three, verse 10. So Zechariah is presenting, again, like an image of the future. Like it won't always be this awful sort of state of flux. There won't always be tension. There won't always be conflict. There won't always be fear. There will, there will come a day where there is some sort of peace, where we are able to become the people we were always meant to be. And so when Zechariah begins talking about this, this is what he says. He says, in that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree declares the Lord Almighty. So all over the ancient Hebrew scriptures, there are these references to when peace is achieved, you'll know it because people will begin sitting under their own fig tree. And then they're gonna start inviting their neighbors to come over and sit under the fig tree as well. Take a look, we'll look at one more. Take a look at the book of Micah, um, Micah chapter four. Micah's yet another one of these ancient prophets. And this is what Micah writes just at the beginning of chapter four. He writes, in the last days, and by the way, the last days, I feel like I always have to kind of qualify this because we in the 21st century have equated the last days with like the end of the world in some sort of way. But when the prophets write about the last days, they're not saying like when the world ends. What they're saying is uh, they're, they're, signal, or, yeah, they're signaling towards an era in which what, what they often would refer to as the era of the Messiah. So it, it's about peace. It's about shalom. It's about the it's about the realm of the divine crashing into our reality. It's about things becoming exactly as they were always meant to be. So when it talks about the last days, what's being referred to here is there will come a day where everything will change. And the things that, that we now look at and we see as like a permanent problem, all of a sudden will begin to feel quite small. So when we talk about the last days and we're looking at ancient Hebrew um, prophecy and poetry, there's the, it's basically saying it won't always be like this. This, this will end. This, this tension, this turmoil, this fear, this sickness, this frustration, all these things will come to an end and there will come a day when it won't be like this anymore. And so that's what Micah saying. So when Micah says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we, we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong, for strong nations far and wide. In other words, like one of the things that's going to have to happen here is that nations that are at war will have to accomplish some sort of peace. We will have to come to a, an understanding. We will, we will have to get out of the arms race business. And so then it says, um, yeah, he will judge between many nations, settle disputes from, uh, for, uh, for, for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they won't need weapons anymore. Weapons will become a thing that we tell our grandchildren we used to use before we became part of this larger movement. But, but before things got better, before we were actually participating in Shalom, we began to like worship our weapons. Imagine a world in which one of the most sacred ideals is that you're allowed to own as many weapons as possible. Imagine, imagine living in a place that has that sort of mentality. And what this writer is saying is, oh, no, 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 there, there will come a day where your weapons are irrelevant and you will beat, you will beat your swords into plowshares and your spears in, into um, 
I'm sorry, into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There will be no more, there, there will be no need for like military force. It's just all of those things are going to become outdated as the world begins to look more and more like the kingdom of God. And then in verse four, he writes, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own what? Fig tree. And no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Okay. So all through this ancient like prophecy and uh, Hebrew tradition, you have this language of the fig tree. And the fig tree is this symbolic image of this is what it looks like. When, when you see someone sitting under a fig tree, it's not just a guy sitting under a particular kind of tree. It is, oh, there's a new world that is being born. And a person sitting under a fig tree is this metaphorical image of there, there is a new reality bursting into this one. And the person sitting under the fig tree is a person who is already participating in that kind of reality. So when John tells a story about Jesus pointing out that one of his earliest followers was first seen sitting under a fig tree, that's not an accident. These, this writer knows exactly what he's doing. He's brilliant. He, he is fully aware that when he, has, when he says that Jesus told Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under a fig tree, he knows what all the implications are going to be for the first readers of this story. So when Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? Jesus could have given any number of answers. He could, have, he could have been like, well, Philip told me about you. Or everybody knows who you are. You're the town screw up. Or you were, you were actually one of the only people I saw as I was moving through town. And I just, I guess I'll just work with whatever I got. No, Jesus doesn't say any of the, or he doesn't say how I know you is irrelevant. Follow me. Like, because we tend to sort of emphasize the follow me part of the story. But what's interesting, what, the thing that makes this story interesting is that when Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus says, oh, well, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. He says, I know you because I know that you, I can tell that you are already dialed in to what I am attempting to do in the world. You're already, there's a story that's being told and you are already participating in what that looks like. Sitting under a fig tree is an ancient Hebrew way of saying, this person is already bringing shalom into reality. So, which goes back to the question that we started with, which is, Am I part of something larger? When Jesus says that Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, he's saying, you know, you want to know what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself? It turns out you already are participating in something bigger than, you, than yourself. You just didn't realize it. So if, if we take a look at this and we think about like, well, who do I know who's already involved in healing and restoration and making things better and bringing shalom to earth? You know somebody, you already know someone who sits under the fig tree. If you know someone who's already involved in helping the poor, or if you know someone who's already doing the work of racial reconciliation, or if you, if you, know, for some, if you know someone who is already advocating for people who live and exist in the margins, then you know someone who is already sitting under the fig tree. I was, as I was kind of working through this and trying to think of like, who do I know? Like who, who, who have I encountered? who I, I can look at and say, oh, this person is totally sitting under the fig tree. I, I thought a lot about a um, friend of Collective Church, Richard Beck, and how Dr. Beck, one of the things that he does, or um, I, I don't know how able he's been able to do this as of late, but um, the last time I spoke to him, one of the things that he was doing was going to his, his local prison in, in near Abilene and 
leading a Bible study of men who are in this prison and interacting with these gentlemen who are incarcerated and trying to bring some amount of peace and shalom and grace and um, hope into the lives of people who are incarcerated. And I think, oh, Richard Beck has been sitting under the fig tree this whole time. Or I think about Austin Channing Brown and all the work that she does through, again, uh, working towards racial reconciliation and trying to offer a voice and empowerment to people who have always felt marginalized and disempowered. Austin has been under the fig tree this whole time. I mean, a, a lot of us have probably discovered her work in the last couple of years, but she was under the fig tree way before she wrote her first book. So um, I, I think a lot about Rachel Held Evans and how I miss her writing and her voice and her presence in the world. This is someone that anytime she would have something to say, I didn't have the language for it because I really had never spent that much time thinking about this particular story. But if, if Rachel was alive right now and still writing and still um, putting out new work, I would say, oh yeah, Rachel's been under the fig tree this whole time. There, there are examples of people who, who are sitting under the fig tree. And maybe if you think about it, you, you can imagine somebody in your own life who you think like, how in the world does this person continually pour themselves into other people and continually offer parts of themselves towards um, healing and restoration and redemption to people who perhaps feel at sea and people, people who, um, who are struggling, who are on the margins. Maybe you know somebody who is doing that kind of work and maybe a way of acknowledging the significance of that work is you could say, oh, this person, they've been sitting under the fig tree for years and we just didn't know it. So Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I know you because you sit under the fig tree. The early readers would have immediately dialed in to what Jesus was saying. For us, thousands of years later, we have to go hunting. We have to go looking through these ancient other passages and, and try and find like a, like a linked connection to it. But Jesus's original hearers would have, or the, and John's original readers would have been like, got it. Nathaniel was under the fig tree the whole time. So, which explains Nathaniel's response, because if we don't know that, Nathaniel's response looks very strange. So in, so Nathaniel says, remember the first thing Nathaniel says about Jesus is like, I'm not so sure about this guy. He came from Nazareth and can, nothing good can come from Nazareth. So he shows up and he interacts with Jesus and he says, how do you even know me? And um, then in, um, so in, sorry. So Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then, in verse 49, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, which is a deeply disproportionate response to somebody who says, like, I saw you sitting under a tree, right? So Nathaniel goes from full-blown, like, I don't know about this guy. He comes from Nazareth. I've got my doubts about, like, can anything good come from Nazareth? He asks one question. Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, you are the son of God. Like that's, wait, what? And he calls him rabbi. And, and so you have like this big time reversal in posture from Nathaniel, just from the information that Jesus says, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. Uh, because Nathaniel, because Nathaniel knows exactly what Jesus means when he says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. In other words, I saw you already participating in the work of the divine. Then in, um, Sorry, I keep losing my place. Then in verse 50, it says, 
You believe because I told you I saw you. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than. I love that too. You will see greater things than that. I did tell you you were sitting under a fig tree, and now your mind is blown. But just just wait until you you see what I can do at weddings, because that is just gonna that that is just gonna knock your socks off, if they even wore socks at the time. I don't really know. So. Um, and then it says, so it says, you believe because I, saw, I told you I saw you sitting under a fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. Greater things than being told you sat under a fig tree. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So again, we've gone from you sit under a fig tree to you will see the heavens open. Heavens is another way of referring to the skies. And you will see, um, what, what was the, the language he, he says? You will see heaven open and the angels or the messengers of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is how he refers to himself. Which is, again, we've gone from sitting under a tree to like some of the most bonkers imagery you can possibly imagine just in a paragraph. So this language of ascending and descending, this actually comes from somewhere too. This comes from the book of Genesis chapter 28. So if you were with us for our Genesis series, then you might remember we kind of... We didn't really like dig deep into this, but we sort of did glide past it because of the other stuff around it. Um, but so what you have in Genesis 28 is you have this guy named Jacob, and Jacob is on the run because his brother Esau is threatening to kill him. And so at a certain point, so Jacob's on the run, and the sun is beginning to set, and Jacob realizes he has to stop and sleep for the night. So sorry, there's some elephants that we've uh, adopted, and now they're uh, living upstairs. So if, if you can hear the earthquake that's happening above my head, that's what's going on. Anyway, ascending and descending. So. We have this language, or we have this image of Jacob stopping for basically to, to sleep for the night, and then he has this insane dream. And we're just going to look at the dream and uh, see see what we can glean from it, because this is pretty weird. So in verse ten, it says Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, and a certain place is a way of saying like no specific. Um, relevance to this particular place at all. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven or to the sky, descending on it. So we have this language of ascending and descending. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, which is a recurring theme throughout the entire book of Genesis, right? All people will be blessed through you. You will become a blessing to everybody else. And so it says, I am with you. So he says the thing about you being a blessing. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So we have this crazy dream that begins with a stairway, a stairway to heaven, if you will, that ascends and descends, in which there is there is seamless travel between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of humanity, in which all things are beginning to, to like the line between the kingdom of God and the realm of earth, the line is getting very blurry here because the earth is beginning to look more and more like the kingdom of God. And what, what does that look like? What is the description? You will be a blessing to other people. So... This language of ascending and descending 
that Jesus uses with Nathaniel begins in Genesis 28. So the entire passage in John is rich with subtext. It looks like it's just like this like get, getting to know you conversation. But what's going on here is John or John is sort of painting a picture of oh there's something way way bigger going on here and he's using all this like subtextual language to to let us know what Jesus is actually up to. So the entire passage is just dripping with subtext. And Jesus is saying so much where it might seem like he's not saying anything at all. So what Jesus is saying here is, I am the beginning of the new reality. And when you are dialed in to what Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, when you are dialed into what I'm doing, you are participating in bringing heaven to earth. You are helping to blur the lines between heaven and earth, between this realm and the kingdom of God. You are making this world more and more filled with shalom. Jesus is saying, some of you are already sitting under the fig tree, and I want to invite you to be part of the healing of the world. I want to, I want to invite you to be part of bringing more shalom into the world. So it looks at face value like Jesus is just like, hey, good to meet you. You were under a fig tree. There's like clouds opening, ascending, descending. But the bigger thing going on here is he's saying, Nathaniel, I know that you are already participating in the good work that God is doing in the world. But what I want to invite you to do is participate at a much richer, deeper, more direct level. I want to invite you to, to keep moving forward. I want to invite you to participate in bringing shalom into the world. I'm so glad I saw you sitting under the fig tree because now we can get started doing the real work. So for those of us who wonder if our actions matter, they do. That is every choice we make, every time we interact with another person, every time we choose to be generous, every time we choose to listen to someone who has historically been marginalized in our world, to every time we offer a word of compassion or forgiveness to someone, what we're doing is we are sitting under the fig tree. We are participating in blurring the lines between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of humanity. And so for those of us who wonder if our actions matter, yeah, a thousand times a day, you have an opportunity to take a seat under the fig tree and to do the work and to participate in what is going on in the world and what, in what Jesus is up to. So, and then for those of us who feel as though we're dealing with a bit of an absence, like they're, they're, we're, we're sort of just kind of living day to day and we're kind of just like spinning our wheels because we feel like we're, we're just at it alone and like whatever we do, it only affects us. And I think what Jesus is saying here is like, no, 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 there's the whole, the whole thing, the entire world is filled with divine potential. You, at any given moment, you have thousands of opportunities to, to go and sit under the fig tree, to ascend and descend and blur the lines between this realm and the kingdom of God, to bring more shalom into the world. I, um, there, there's, there's an old poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and I just happened to have been reading a book this week, and it quoted, the book quoted the poem, and it it struck me as particularly relevant to this uh, this passage. So I wanted to just read this this little bit. The name of the poem is Aurora Lee. I won't read the whole thing. It's a very long poem, but just this one stanza. It says this. It says, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. But only who, he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. In other words, the entire, like all the space that you occupy is loaded with potential. You, you don't have to go to a special location to sit under the fig tree. The fig tree is already with us. The question is, 
am I participating? Am I participating in what God is doing in the world? Am I bringing more shalom into the world? So sitting under the fig tree is Jesus's way of saying, we are paying, or is our way of saying, to say, I, want, I, I am sitting under a fig tree, or you are sitting under a fig tree. It's a way of saying, we are paying attention. We are participating. We are bringing heaven crashing into earth. We, we will be a blessing to others. So may you sit under the fig tree. May you find that there are all kinds of opportunities to participate in what God is doing in the world, to participate in the ongoing um, bringing of shalom into the world, to make the world more and more the way it was always meant to be. May you find yourself sitting under the fig tree that's been there the whole time. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this imagery, this metaphor of the fig tree. And for those of us who are looking for opportunities to become more empowered, may we find this as a story of empowerment. May, may we find that we are invited to sit under the fig tree. May, may we, metaphorically speaking, may we see the staircase that ascends and descends. And may we find that we are a blessing to other people. May we find that we are blurring the lines between the kingdom of heaven and this realm that we occupy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, like I said before, no communion today. So that was pretty much it. I hope everybody has a great week. And, um, you know, same same as always. We'll, we'll see you next time. Next, next week, it'll be me again. And then I believe it, two weeks from today, Christina Gibson is going to uh, come and make a repeat appearance because... Um, Apparently, she did such a great job while I was gone that uh, the popular demand has not subsided. So uh, we'll, we'll be hearing from Christina again in a couple of weeks, and then it'll be me again after that. So just wanted to kind of let everybody know what's, what's coming. And um, anyway, stay safe, stay healthy, have a great week. Grace and peace be with you.